Welcome back to the Mike Dillard Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs like you get the knowledge and skills that you need to bring your dreams to life. Well, gang, have you ever wondered why you make the decisions that you make with the best of intentions, only to find that they end up causing problems for you down the road? Have you ever wondered why it can be so hard to stop bad habits and replace them with healthier ones? Have you ever wondered why you tend to repeat the same choices, attract the same kind of relationships, or sabotage your success? Well, today you're going to find out the answers to all of those questions and more thanks to our guest and one of the smartest people I've ever met, Mr. Adam Lyons. Adam has become one of the world's biggest authorities on brain chemistry and how it affects the decisions that we make on a daily basis. I have to say that this interview is absolutely fascinating because Adam is about to pull back the curtain and give you a behind-the-scenes look at the neurochemistry that's driving our decisions and behaviors at a subconscious level. All of the decisions that you make and the actions that you take are a result of your brain's desire for one or more of five different chemicals. We all know that smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol are bad for your body over a long period of time, that they could even kill you, and yet people consume them on a regular basis. So why is that? Well, it's because that moment of consumption is triggering the release of a pleasure-based hormone like dopamine, which your brain is programmed to pursue. And before you know it, you've cracked open that beer, you've lit up that cigarette, even though you've told yourself that you're going to stop doing that and that you're never going to do it again. Maybe you're constantly spending all of the money that you make, and maybe saving has been a huge challenge for you. Well, that's because your brain is getting pleasure every time you buy something. It's basically a little crack addict that's constantly in need of another hit of that chemical, and before you know it, you're on Amazon once again hitting that one-click buy button. So once you're aware of why your brain does this, you can start to short-circuit and reprogram this pattern, which is the key to making better decisions in every area of your life. This is one of those episodes that can have a dramatic impact on every area of your life moving forward. So get ready to take some notes and please help me welcome Adam Lyons. Adam Lyons, welcome to the Mike Dillard podcast, my friend. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to actually get to meet you for the first time as well. Yeah, no, we have a ton of mutual friends here. You're just outside of Austin and I have heard a lot about each other. So it's good to finally connect. And I'm super fascinated with your area of expertise around psychology and mindset and how we can apply to every aspect of our lives from relationships to business. So today we're going to be talking about strategic decision making. This is something that we have to do on a daily basis as entrepreneurs. Which product should we launch? What should we name it? What should we price it? How should we market it? On and on and on and on and on. It seems like it's something that we're doing on a daily basis nonstop. And the decisions that we end up making obviously affect our lives in a very, very dramatic way. And this is one of your biggest areas of expertise. So I'm excited to, to dive in today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's funny, I go into the whole business thing uh, kind of as an accident. I found that, uh, you know, I don't know if you know this about me, Mike, but I used to be a janitor. That was, uh, that was, my, <laughs> yeah, it was my father's profession. And in England, you kind of like do what your parents did. So my, my dad was a janitor. So, you know, it looked like I was going to be a janitor. And when you're a janitor, you sit at a desk in front of a computer all day, every day, and you can learn things. And you know, as a janitor, I wasn't particularly successful with the ladies. It's not the, <laughs> the career choice that they tend to look for. And I went on a mission to learn everything I could about dating, but I didn't like the kind of like weird, smarmy, pickup line tactics that other people were doing. I wanted to just understand the psychology 
of how human beings relate to each other, how we talk to each other, um, and what really does trigger attraction from a psychological standpoint and from, a, from the decision-making standpoint of how somebody's brain chemicals helps them decide. And funny enough, I ended up becoming known as the number one dating coach in the UK, uh, which ended up being the number one dating coach in Europe, and for a time, number one in the world. And I traveled the world uh, teaching people how to meet and attract and fix their dating lives. And I'll be completely honest with you, Mike. I remember this time where I was so successful. I just finished speaking on stage in Hollywood and I had a standing ovation. There's a thousand people in the crowd. And then I got a ping on my phone reminding me that my mortgage was overdue. And it's because I didn't really understand how business worked. And despite you know, running a business and, and managing to have all these eyeballs on me all over the world, I still didn't really get how to generate money or how to make it work. And so I decided to take a, a sharp turn. And instead of focusing on my dating life anymore, now I'd sort of like, I suppose, in my mind conquered it. I went on a mission to learn business and try and understand it. And I hired some of the world's experts. I worked with Roland Frazier. I worked with uh, Brad Costanzo. Perry Belcher, like, you know, I, I hired all these top experts to learn. And I realized that just like dating, if I was going to really get this, I kind of like needed to jump in with both feet and start trying to understand it. And that's when I realized that I could apply the skills that had helped me with dating straight into business. And the minute I did that, it turned everything around. And I realized that a lot of the mistakes that I was making, a lot of other people were making could really be solved if you understood how that brain chemistry how that brain chemistry worked. And while it's very easy to make a business that you know, makes 100 and 150 grand a year, when you want to take it to that next step, which is truly what you need to do to make the kind of money, as you know, to, to actually survive and actually build, um, you need to be thinking more strategically, making the right kind of partnerships, making the right connections, um, and it, making the right kind of decisions. And I find that so many people just make the wrong decision because they go about it the wrong way. Yeah, it's kind of the elusive obvious, right? Anything that has to do with mindset is on one hand quite elusive because it's this invisible thing that you know it, it's a part of you, but at the same time, it's hard to pull yourself out of that and to look at the way your mind works and how you think from a very conscious strategic perspective so that you can then start to modify those patterns. Yeah, so walk us through you know this rabbit hole that you dove in from a business perspective because the dating thing, we could do a whole other interview on that. But uh, And we actually have that in common. I spent a good five years of my life in my 20s going down that rabbit hole. And that's actually what inspired my all of my work that I did on attraction marketing 10, 15 years ago. I pulled that from what I learned in the dating world into business. So. That's fascinating. I would love to talk to you about that because yeah, if you say, yeah, 15 years ago is about when I started my dating journey. So Yeah, it was when Mystery and, and Neil and all those guys were in their heyday and yeah, that, all of that That's stuff, so. so funny. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of those guys now come to me for dating help with their own personal lives. We're, it's sort of like full circle. This is fascinating. I didn't know that about you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like <laughs> yeah, no, that's how I, how I became good friends with Eben uh, Pagan. And uh, yeah, we could, that could be a whole other, whole other It's great. Yeah, so. I, was, I was on his series. Oh, this is so funny. Everyone else is like getting a window into a private phone call between the two of us. Like, yes, catching yes. up. <laughs> and we're, we're going we're gonna to keep the rest private because we'll have to save that for another day. But so, so tell us how you started to translate this into success, first and foremost, in your own life, and then for the clients and all of the uh, customers that you've managed to help through this process. And 
the way that I want to tackle this today for everybody again is is from that strategic decision making perspective because because I've made a lot of very very big decisions in my business career. Some of them have worked out wonderfully, and some of them have worked out not at all. They've been a disaster, and I've repeated them two or three times now, right? And so I'm now aware of the pattern. And so any insight to this whole psychology piece, I think, is going to be super valuable for everyone. Well, I'd, I'd like to share something then that I've never shared with anyone, which is how I discovered it. Um, because the way I discovered it was I had this one dating client who we got his dating life fixed. And he said to me, I don't want to stop hiring you, but you know, I've got everything I need when it comes to dating. So what else can you do for me? And he was a financial trader. And he noted that there were some days where he made a quarter of a million dollars in a single day and other days where he lost $100,000 in a single day. And he always chalked it up to that was just how it was. But he said to me, if you can help me either increase the $250,000 days or the frequency of them or decrease the 100,000 lost days, it would be worth paying me my fee. And so we rented a room in Vegas. He brought all of his equipment there and I sat with him in a room and I watched him trade. And the whole point was to start seeing what he was doing. And we came up with this idea where we would create a diary, a trading diary for him. And every day he would write down all the random thoughts in his diary. And at the end of each day, we wrote down how much money he made. And over a period of a month or two, we could see that the days where he lost his money were also days where he was very frustrated or stressed or dealing with something at the start of the day that he wasn't normally dealing with. And this pattern was so clear that we realized that if we could resolve this and get it to a point where he was only making the correct decisions and he wasn't allowing other elements of his day to influence those decisions, then it would have a significant impact on his bottom line at the end of the year. Awesome. Yeah. Great example. Yeah. So, um, so what we found that was really fascinating about this is we couldn't stop the bad things happening. <laughs> there, was, there were going to be stresses in his personal life. There were going to be, I remember this one point he was very angry because he bought a brand new car and found out that he paid above market price on it. Somebody had convinced him he got a bargain and it wasn't. And I had to show him that that cost him $80,000 in lost trades that day, despite mm. the fact it was only $1,000 above retail. And so, you know, the, the, this element was, was really huge. And we realized that there are essentially three different ways that people make decisions. Uh, the first way that people make decisions is based on data, data-driven decisions. And most marketers would agree that data-based decisions are best. The problem is you have to interpret data and data isn't always that easy to interpret. And while we like to think our fancy dashboards and our computer are giving us accurate data, I know far too many situations where somebody's running some Facebook ads and they've spent $24,000 in a single day, but the data wasn't inputted correctly and actually ended up with zero sales off of that money when they thought that they were okay to scale and actually they weren't. You know, or the case of my trader where you know, it looks like all the data in front of him is exactly what he's dealing with, but there's a piece of the information missing that maybe wasn't released to the public and it completely messed up his entire day of trading. Right. And so I find that that's, that's like the first element. So there's nothing wrong with database decision-making. And I think all decisions 100% should be backed by data. But when the data isn't 100% accurate, or even when you're interpreting it, there's still a secondary decision, which is the action decision. And most people will make that decision with what I call a gut decision. They will say, you know, this feels like the right thing, or I've seen this pattern in the past, so this is the correct choice at this moment. And 
that's how human beings make decisions. There's a really good book on this, uh, which I, I'm, I'm going to assume you've read. Have you read Thinking Fast and Slow? No. Uh-uh. Oh, okay. I recommend that to everybody, everybody listening to this. Thinking Fast and Slow is one of the best books to explain this principle. But it's the idea that human beings make decisions and there is a slow decision and a fast decision. And your fast decision is being made as an impulse. It's your, your subconscious instinctive decision. And really, all it does is think about the very last time you made a decision, and it duplicates it. The idea being, if you survived the previous scenario, then if you do the same thing, you'll survive again. Uh, But it doesn't take into consideration how bad that survival was, and was there a better way of doing it? A slow decision is one where you take a lot more time to think about it. And so there's there's a really good example, Mike, which I'll, I'll, I'll use, if you don't mind me using you as a guinea pig for a second, Please. I can yeah. give you an example. So the first is, what percentage of marriages end in divorce? The first the first number that comes up without any data whatsoever is just 50%. And that's yeah. probably just been embedded in my head from something <laughs> in the past, but I have no real evaluation of that. It's just the first number that popped in my head. Which I absolutely love. And I love that the way you think about that as well, because, you know, because that's, that is actually a much more detailed answer, but, and we'll get into that in a minute. Um, and then the other question would be 3,725 multiplied by 961. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Who knows? <laughs> yeah, right. Right, right, yeah. And I love that, right? So now what's fascinating is of the two answers, the first one, you felt comfortable giving an answer. But the second one, which is 3,579,725, your brain felt like it couldn't answer. And yet, of the two decisions, the only one that was really answerable was the second. The second had a definite answer. Right. The first was kind of like a gut feeling. And what's fascinating about human beings is you recall data and you don't even know where you recalled it from or even if it was accurate yet you felt comfortable making the decision to jump on board with it. Yeah, I mean, it's a guess. And, and, and to me, this is making, the first thing this makes me think of is the way people are just being manipulated by the media today with stats and memes and articles and whatever with statistics around shootings and whatever. Where, and it may or may not be true, but they might recall it and just mm-hmm. state it as a fact from that point forward, right? You're so correct. And that's what I love about even when you gave that answer, that's what I wanted to tell you. You really were aware of the fact that you didn't know where that data was. I love that you played along, but I could tell that you, you know, I, I don't think you'd have felt comfortable actually acting on that without going and checking it and looking into it, which is, you know, it shows why you're so smart. However, the way that human beings go about our decision making is most of us will feel very comfortable making a decision based on that gut or doing some rudimentary research and then be like, okay, good. I'm, I'm comfortable enough. I'm going to take action. And I propose there's a third way to make decisions. We can take the information from the data. We can absolutely recall our gut. Uh, but one of the things I like to do is I like to use my cortex to make decisions. The cortex being that, that, that front part of your, of your brain, the, you know, the thinking part. And understanding that these impulses, the, the instinct we use to make decisions, actually come from five different brain chemicals. And this is something, uh, there was an author by the name of Loretta Brenning, is a, a close personal friend of mine, um, who's wrote numerous books about this subject. And the idea is each one of these brain chemicals controls our instinctive decision making, our impulsive behaviors. And our bodies are motivated to chase these chemicals. And the problem is, if you're chasing the wrong ke- or the right chemical in the wrong way, 
it can lead you to make a really bad decision that ultimately you will survive. And because you survive it, because of thinking fast and slow, you are likely to make that same mistake again. And that's how we get into a pattern of bad behavior. Like, for example, choosing not to fire an employee that you really should have fired a long time ago, but they're triggering the correct brain chemistry that makes you believe that actually they're beneficial. What are, what are uh, another example or two? Yeah, sure. So another example would be you're working with a client that's generating you money. And so you believe that this is a great thing to do and you keep doing it. But actually, there's such a, a problem to work with that they're eating into your time that could be spent on serving three other clients that would be far more profitable. Or getting dug into some emails that you think are really important at the time because another employee did it wrong. And now you've spent two hours tidying something up that really was a $20 an hour task for somebody else. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and these decisions happen all the time or talking to your wife during work because you, know, you, you forgot her anniversary last week and you're trying to make up for it during the work day now, which is a terrible thing to do uh, because not only are you now distracted at work, but you're also setting a precedent with your wife that it's absolutely okay to talk to you in the middle of the day, which makes her wonder why you're not available at other times in the middle of the day to talk to her. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so a lot of these decisions, and you know, one of the things that I do now, a lot of my work is actually working with CEOs coming into their business and helping A, them work out their decisions. Then we'll often do uh, staff assessments and go in through all the staff members and try and work out um, picking up underperforming staff members or moving them out if they're no good and helping with the interview process of bringing in newer people. And it's all about helping people understand these chemicals. So uh, if, you, if you're cool with it, I'd love to give you sort of like a, a, an overview of the five chemicals and how they yeah. relate. Okay. Let's do it. So first of all, there, of the five, there are four positive chemicals and one negative chemical. And uh, we'll deal with the negative chemical last. It's, it's kind of fun. But it's really important to understand that there is only one negative. So your body has only one way to tell you that there's a problem. Um, and it's that one negative chemical. So you've got four ways to receive positive chemistry. And so it just, I like to think about this. It just shows that as people, we're naturally positive. You know, there's, we have uh, four different ways to experience pleasure, but only one way to experience stress or, or, or pain. So what is, uh, what is that, that one specific one? So it, that one's called cortisol. Okay. And uh, cortisol is the stress chemical. Um, and fascinatingly, my, uh, my son can't generate it. He was born without it, um, which, is, uh, which is pretty interesting. So I'll, I'll leave that one to last. We'll get into that. But it, cortisol is, is the bad one. It's worth understanding it. The other four, that people tend to use them interchangeably. So they'll be like, oh, you need dopamine or endorphins. And actually, they're triggered by very specific things. And it is worth knowing what each one does and how they work and why you need them. So the first one, dopamine, this is the reward chemical. This is the one you get when you do something well. But also, it's triggered by notifications on your phone. So if you get a, a phone notification or, you know, there's a lot of, I see a lot of business owners, especially in construction or in these sort of like manual labor fields where someone owns like, you know, a big multi-million dollar business in these fields, they'll keep their phone on so that they can deal with problems as they arise. But they then find that a lot of their day is responding to messages that are not problems. And you'll see them constantly picking up that phone and looking at it. And that's dopamine controlling that response. They want to close out that notification so they can move on with their day. And until they receive that dopamine hit of shutting down that notification, they can't continue with any other project. 
Yep. <laughs> welcome to <laughs> welcome to the modern world unfortunately right yeah. and so um so th- what's fascinating is you'll get people that try and stop doing that so they say okay i don't want to be addicted to my phone i'll put my phone to one side but what they're addicted to is not the phone they're addicted to the dopamine release and they have to obtain that so what that means is if they've been getting the dopamine release from responding to emails as they arrive or responding to text messages just saying i won't do that anymore doesn't work because you've you've lost the dopamine source and now your brain will make you hunt that dopamine source. And that's because we used to hunt food. And there is a pleasure in going after hunting that food. What's cool about this is if you say you want to grow your business, you want to reach another level, you could make sure that the only notifications you receive are for new leads or new opportunities. Mm. And any other message goes to a different place, goes to a different phone or, or, or a different email account or what have you. So that way, when you sit down to work, you are 100% hyper-focused on only dealing with notifications that relate to sales or growth, if, if that was what you wanted to do. And so this is how we can start using our cortex to control the base instincts. And we control our systems so we only see the things that are relevant to what we need. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And then what, I, what I'll often recommend people do is the other problems get dealt with at a set time during the day. So for example, I turn up at work. I've got my, my email is only on my work computer and then I will deal with my work emails and then I'll switch to my sales computer, shut down my work computer. Now for the entire day, I'm just focused on my sales processes or, or whatever process you need to do. But that's one very simple way of doing it. And because I'm feeding my dopamine, I actually won't be addicted to checking that other computer. I won't need to deal with it. Very cool. Cool. So that's, uh, that's our dopamine one. And so the next one, uh, this is the fun one. This is serotonin. Serotonin, uh, we think of it as the peer chemical or the social chemical. Uh, This is the one that has you going back to Facebook all day, every day, or or checking your LinkedIn constantly. This is, we basically want the adoration of our peers. We need our friends to tell us we're doing a good job. And often, I'll see this with high-end business decision-making. People will make a decision purely based on what they want other people to think, as opposed to what they actually want to do. Um, I want to be really careful here because I think we've got a mutual friend that is suffering from a serotonin problem. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be quite vague because I, I don't really want them to know I'm talking about them because they've <laughs> spoken to me about this in the past. But I've got a, a mutual friend of ours who is trying to achieve something in his business. He wants to purchase a business. And he is very clearly, very vocal online about how badly he wants to buy this business. And every so often he'll make a post and it'll be like, does anyone know anyone who works at this company? I'm looking to purchase this business. Yep. And what's fascinating here is every time he makes that post, he's making it very socially aware that this is his intention. And in his world, he's putting it out into the world. But what he's actually doing is collecting serotonin from his online social media as everyone's like, you're going to buy it one day. Good for you. And I've explained to him, I was like, actually, if you really wanted to buy it, there is a real simple proven method you could be following. And this is, you know, what you could do. I was like, actually, by making it public and talking about buying it online, all you're doing is driving up the price. Because when they realize how bad you want it, they're going to hit right. you, right? Yeah. And, and so I told him he's chasing the serotonin because he's already trying to shout out about the fact that he's bought it, even though he hasn't. And again, what he should be doing is instead getting serotonin from a different place. Rather than from this is what I'm going to do, you can get serotonin from this is what I have done. And he could buy maybe a smaller sister business or, or a similar kind of business and compete with the other business. Or There's so many other ways or other things he could be talking about. For example, one thing I never see from him are client testimonials. Now, he runs an eight-figure business. He's very successful. 
but I never see client testimonials on his personal Facebook I, or his social media. I only ever see him talking about how great he is, which is funny because when you go to his website, there are testimonials everywhere. And rather than him bragging about the fact he's going to buy this business one day, which I think you know makes up about 10% of what he posts about, I would love to see these testimonials because I think it would actually serve him better. Right. And it would still give him the serotonin. He would still have everyone telling him how great he is, but for different reasons. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I've got my I've got my own version of that that I that I don't post publicly, but <laughs> uh, but it it consumes a lot of my strategic thinking lately in the fact that I have a very lofty goal that I want to hit in the next ten years, and now I'm trying to backwards engineer the decisions that I make and the actions that I take that will allow me to actually accomplish that. And easier said than done, but. If I make the wrong decision and I waste five years of that 10 years, that's a huge problem. Oh, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah. And, yeah. and I, I believe that's what he's doing. I believe because it, it's feeding the itch. You know, it's like every time he talks about it and everyone's like, you're going to do it, it reduces his, his chemistry motivation because he's already had people tell him how great he is. So now he doesn't need to achieve that goal as much. Right. So, and, and this is why these brain chemicals are so powerful. Because, it, again, he feels like he's moving forward, but he really isn't. So that's serotonin and we dopamine and... Uh, oxytocin. Got, okay. Yeah. Oxytocin is the next one. This is the love chemical. Um, what I love about love and dating, and obviously, uh, now, I now know how, how well-versed you are in this. Uh, there's no emotion for love. We have emotion. Uh, you know, they've recognized anger and happiness and sadness and surprise and disgust. But there is no uh, recognized emotion for love. And yet we all describe it as emotion. We say, I'm feeling um, in love or I feel like I'm in love. Like you can't, you quote unquote, can't really feel it. It's, it's a chemical. And as far as we can tell, it's oxytocin. When a woman gives birth to her child, her body typically is flooded with oxytocin, which is, ensures that she loves the child. And um, actually, this is something you'll see. The father will often fall in love with the child at a later date. It often takes uh, anywhere from a few weeks to six months before the father feels the same connection the mother does and before it's registered. And that's because the father has to gain his oxytocin in a different way because he's not physically giving birth. Mm. And so he'll get a gradual buildup of oxytocin. Now, oxytocin drastically can impact your business because if you don't have a source of oxytocin in your life, i.e. from a partner, then it can be very difficult to stay focused at work because you will start hunting that. And uh, actually, I love uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which places a stable relationship at position three, whereas your success really starts at position four. So Maslow, you know, kind of like believes you have to resolve your relationship status before you can start seeing some real success. And I've seen that often when people come to me to learn dating things, the next step is they'll go and build a business or they'll go and make money, but they'll always want to resolve that dating step first. And there's exceptions, but. See, that's weird because I'm the opposite. I have to go, I have to go get my business and financial security in order and health in order and whatever to then allow myself to give myself the time to then go consider a relationship and dating and things like that, right? Uh, so now I love this because believe it or not, you just quoted stage one and two, um, which is um, security and, and health. And so just I suspect that for you, your idea of what secure is, is higher than most people's. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, because that does come early, which is your security and feeling safe and having food on the table is level one and two. And then level three is a stable relationship. And level four is where you start to really start to self-actualize and, and reach your bigger, truly 
high-end goals. And again, there are exceptions to all this. I, I've definitely met people that the relationship goes second. Well, I mean, you know, Elon Musk, for example. Um, right. And he's, but the, I, again, I believe that's driven by the fact that he believes that we're reaching the end of the world and we have to reach Mars. <laughs> and yeah. so he can't feel safe on this planet. And wow. I think that yeah. actually that's his level too. Like he can't, he can't focus on a relationship until he feels that he's stabilized everything. Oh. Um, so, so, you know, when I look at it like that, I, I feel that that's what's going on. And, and this is a large part of what I do is I, I think within these frameworks about how we make decisions, you just find that people's ideas of what secure is are, are different. But I, I definitely feel the majority of my clients will have somewhat of a stable income. They'll come to me to, to learn dating stuff. And then afterwards, they then are like, okay, I now want to build a business or become super successful. And, and that's when they, they start really finding their, their true path. And oxytocin really will impact your business because I'll often see people that will focus on working on the weekend and then talk to their partners during the workday during the week. And I'm always saying, I'm like, why don't you just not work on the weekend and actually give your partner concentrated time and then give your business concentrated time during the week? And it's shocking how much of a difference that will make to a business owner in terms of their mental stability, their relationship gets more stable. And it's not that, it's not that they need to be on their business 24-7. It's the fact that during the week, they're spending time talking to their partner or resolving personal issues or family issues when they should be working. And then they catch up on that work on the weekend. Before we, uh, before we move on to the next one, I want to circle back around real quick on the, the Instagram, Instagram stuff mm -hmm. and the fact that you have expertise in both dating and, and business psychology is really interesting. So what is your take on and I don't mean to sing, I don't mean to pick out women here specifically, but I see it more mm -hmm. often with women than than guys. There are certainly guys that do this, but in my experience, at least the people I follow, it's it's probably eighty twenty female. Mm -hmm. There are there are some that are constantly posting pictures of themselves uh, mm -hmm. in their stories, in their in their feeds, or whatever. And for me, that is a kind of a warning sign where I I just instantly jump to narcissism. <laughs> is is that accurate is it what's going on so yeah it's great actually uh, this is one of the things that um that that we discuss uh so they're, they're really chasing serotonin and i got a great example i got a friend of mine uh she's a exotic dancer in las vegas and she's she also makes custom wood jewelry boxes and she's like what really sucks is every time i post a picture of my butt I get a thousand <laughs> likes right. and she goes, and whenever I post a picture of my beautiful artwork that I've spent years studying how to do, I get like 12 likes and, um, and she'll post about this all the time. So uh, it, it really is understanding serotonin. So for example, if I made a picture and I posted it today and I got 20 likes, I'd be like, oh, that was great. And I get my serotonin boost. And then the next day I make a post and I receive 50 likes. So I've got a, a straight up on my scale. It's like, yes, that's amazing. I did so much better. And then if the next day I get 40 likes, even though it was bigger than the day that I got 20, I actually feel bad because I got 50 yesterday and now I'm down to 40. And that's because my body didn't give me as much serotonin because my peers don't like me as much. And we used to use serotonin to make sure that we were doing well in the group, within the social group, to make sure that we were accepted and how popular we are. And sadly, because there is now a numerical value attached to that, thanks to social media, it does drive people to constantly try to outdo what they did previously. And this is why, actually, if you look at those women on Instagram, you'll see the pictures get racier and racier and racier as they're constantly trying to outdo the previous one, as they're constantly chasing serotonin. Mm. From, a, from a relationship perspective, 
is that a potential partner that you would say, hey, go get to know them better? Or is that someone that you would say, hey, I would probably stay away <laughs> from that? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I think uh, most, most people I work with, they'll chase them anyway. So what I'll often do is uh, this is where we'll shift into a little bit more relationship counseling. And once they're in a relationship, we'll try and encourage them to find something they can post about on social media that isn't just looks, that is something better and build something together that's bigger and better. So what's fascinating about human beings is while a naked booty uh, will get a lot of likes, uh, you'll actually get a lot more for an emotional story that changes people's lives um, mm. or, or sharing something like you know the Amazon rainforest. Uh, situation is going to get a lot more interest than a naked booty. So what's cool is we try to help people, again, once they're in a relationship, start moving that relationship towards a place where you're working together to build up a social media presence that's based on something bigger than just, hey, look at my booty. And I'll often you know, get guys to talk to their partners and vice versa, because we deal with a lot of uh, vain guys as well, to be like, look, your looks are going to fade and somebody else is going to turn up who's prettier and got a better booty and then then what are you going to do yeah yeah and and so we get them to focus on something better and and that usually works much it's a a much stronger plan for the future and it does get better engagement if you do it correctly all right back uh i'll get us back on the the primary path now (laughs) so i think we well we have one or two more cortisol and yep so there's uh so the last one of the uh of the four happy ones is endorphins Endorphins. this is the yeah this comes from pain this is the runner's wind. I don't know if you've ever run a marathon, Mike. You mentioned you did uh, mountain biking, right? Yeah, competed competed in mountain biking, and and the other the other thing that comes to mind, which is so random, is the high you know quote unquote high you get when you eat something super spicy. Yes, that is exactly endorphins. So it's the body's natural way of dealing with pain. Once the pain has been registered, there's really no point in letting us get hurt anymore because it's like okay, we know this is a problem. Let's move on now. And endorphins are the counteract to that pain. So um, it's a natural anesthetic. So this is the whole, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this because it's, it's not something I pay a lot of attention to. Is it BDSM? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. absolutely, yeah, that's absolutely part of it. Um, and what's fascinating is people can really become addicted to endorphins. To take it to a, a darker place just for a second, this is people that do self-harm. Um, if they're not finding endorphins from other areas of their life, then they will start finding it through hurting themselves. Wow. And uh, and I believe that business owners do this as well, where they will focus on a problem client or a problem staff member, and they will they'll be like, you know, this this one staff member really needs my work. It frustrates me every day. I'm really angry with them, and they they focus on that, but they're actually getting endorphins from solving that problem, from from hyper focusing on that on that issue, and it will keep you in a very small mindset and stop you getting the growth you need. Is this one of the primary reasons why a lot of quote unquote serial entrepreneurs will build it, blow it up, build it, blow it up? Yeah. And just because, yeah, the story of, you know, I blew it up, everything went wrong. That gives them endorphins, that gives them serotonin. People care about that. You know, it's, it's pretty boring to run a business that grows year after year and just makes lots of money, but. But there's nothing really to well the to, problem to, that's the problem solving challenge right like mm-hmm. I love solving problems and if I don't I guess if I don't have a problem then it's very possible that my subconscious decides to make one <laughs> so. well, that is exactly it because it's after the endorphin it wants you to get the endorphins and that's why you'll often find 
people that have a healthier resource for endorphins, you know, they, they won't be doing this. So, uh, you know, I, I spoke of, you know, to you about my highest quality factor is fun. One of the things that I do consistently is I challenge myself uh, by playing board games. I'm an avid painter. I paint in my spare time and I enter painting competitions. So actually, uh, last weekend, I just got a silver medal from a, a huge painting contest in Dallas. Wow. And uh, yeah, and it's just, but I'm constantly doing it because I want to get endorphins from trying to become a pro level painter, which obviously doesn't make any money whatsoever, but that's not the point of it. It's to give myself endorphins from something else. And actually, I challenged myself. Everyone else painted for months in advance. They would have like coaches they would hire. And uh, I rocked up at the event without starting. And I started my painting at the event six hours before we had to hand in the, the items. And um, it was funny because I had somebody say to me, wow, you're procrastinating really badly. I was like, oh, no, I'm not procrastinating. Up until this point, I was focusing on my business and doing a bunch of other things. I want the challenge and the pain of doing this in six hours. It's like this is a conscious choice to mm. rush it at the last minute. And I still walked away with the silver. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So I, I make sure I get my endorphins. And there are other people that will get it from working out, um, from doing martial arts. You know, I, I know a lot of marketers will do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, and the goal is they need to get their endorphins from something that isn't, okay, I'm going to cause a problem in my business. Right. <laughs> or, or more to the point, as you said, problem solving. I'm going to solve this problem because that's what it's disguised as. But you know, I, I've seen so many entrepreneurs that you know, if they actually got on the phone, they would make a $25,000 sale. But instead, they're going to focus on solving this technical issue because their computer isn't working properly. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and they'll, you know, they'll, I can't possibly make sale until I solve this tech issue, which would be a $50 fix. Yeah, but they, they've got to do it themselves. For some interesting, reason. interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, the, I'm, I'm very interested in the final one here because I, I dealt with, I got very intimate with cortisol over the last 14 months uh, okay. with, with, my, with a brain injury that, put me in fight or flight 24-7 for 14 months, cortisol levels off the charts, and uh, it was bad. So, I am yeah. so <laughs> sorry to hear that. I, yeah. I know cortisol intimately as well because my son's born without right, it. Right. And uh, so I, I'm well aware of its, of its position and how it does. So just for anyone listening to this that may not appreciate just what you went through, I just want to add something. If you have an old injury that you put up with, like maybe you know a neck that's a bit tight or, or a lower back pain, your body will constantly release cortisol to remind you that there's a problem there and you need to fix it. And so when you talk about being constantly in fight or flight, there are many people listening to this now that I guarantee are undiagnosed as having a regular slow drip of cortisol in your system. And yeah. it's yeah. devastating. What cortisol will do to you it is your body's only method of communicating that there's a problem. All the other things we spoke about is you chasing the wrong thing. It's like you going for the prize, but you don't actually know if you want it. Cortisol is trying to make you run away from the problem. And it does that by trying to get you to focus on the fact there's a problem and either getting you to confront the problem to make it go away or run away from it. And sometimes human beings will do indecision and do neither of those and they freeze and don't do either. And, and it really is devastating. I mean, it, it, it increases your age. It ages you faster. Constant pain. Inability to, to think correctly. One of my favorites, we spoke about the issue earlier, which was uh, thinking fast and slow. Well, with cortisol, you, you almost lose the ability to think slow. And the reason is because if I have a knife and I throw it at your head, you don't want to sit there and go, hmm, there's a knife coming at me. I wonder, because it's going to hit you. So you want the cortisol to kick in, somebody's threatening me with a knife. And then when it, when it flies, you don't want to think about it. You just want to react. And so cortisol constantly makes you make reactive decisions. 
So knowing that you dealt with that, Mike, I'm going to guess that these last 14 months, you probably find it very hard to do high level thinking in the business and that you were constantly finding it very hard to focus on those bigger decisions or bigger meetings, that kind of thing. Uh, I, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't for two reasons. One, that reason, I found that the creative side of my brain and the, the prefrontal cortex just basically couldn't function. And I couldn't, I could literally physically couldn't fall asleep. So mine was from, we didn't know what it was from. All of a sudden, I just felt the click in my head one day. And I'm not going to go into detail because we just, we've covered this a lot in the last few shows. But at the end of the day, what it was is my body was in fight or flight from something. We couldn't figure out what it was. We thought it was nervous system related. And then 10 months into this whole thing, a uh, new doctor with new blood tests, we found out that it was a toxic mold infection. Oh so, my gosh. Uh, so my body was trying to tell me, hey, there's a foreign invader in your body that's killing you. We need to, you know, figure this out. Mm-hmm. But you can't feel I didn't, you know, you can't feel mold growing in your brain or any of that shit. So luckily we once we did and we started to wipe that out, then everything came back online. Like back to critical thinking, back to creativity and all of that stuff. So yeah, not a not a fun experience, but definitely educational. Yeah, and so and that's the I love I love that you got it makes it so much easier because you get it. There are so many business owners right now who are stressed and stress causes cortisol because of maybe not hitting the quota they need, maybe their business isn't growing the scale that they want, maybe they can't buy the business that they want, they don't know how to do it. Any of these things could trigger cortisol and your brain can't differentiate between you're going to die and this is just a bad day. And because it can't differentiate, your your brain treats everything like you're going to die, which yeah. means no critical thinking, no cortex, no slow thinking, all instinctive decision making. And instinctive decision making is bad decision making. So how do we how do we get rid get of, hold it? of all get a, get a hold of this this whole thing? Right, like I'm just here, just thinking about like, up, oh, yep. There's my love for queso and margaritas. There's my like. <laughs> love for racing cars like i can now see how they're all tied to a chemical of some form or another so -hmm. how do we get control of this and actually use it in our favor so one of the things is to make sure that the source for each of these chemicals is a good source and this works for all of them except cortisol so for for dopamine if you want to get a good source of dopamine it would be achieving tasks so something silly like having a task list every day that you actually work from I know so many people that talk about having a task list, but don't have one. And just even just writing down on a piece of paper, these are the things I will do today and then working through it. Even if you don't complete it, it doesn't matter. The act of ticking a box physically lets your brain know we ticked something and it's better than a notification icon in your phone. If you're relying on your email, your phone, your social media to tell you what to do, you're only doing reactive thinking. If you're working from a task list and you're ticking things off, you get the same impact but you're actually moving things forward rather than just reacting to problems. And it's a better way to go about it. So switch off the notifications on the phone, get other people to do it if you can, and work from a real task list of items you create only and try not to get bogged down in the problems. Uh, One of the things I do in my business is if a problem resolves, every employee knows Adam is the last source of problems. All problems have to be recorded and written down so that we can reflect on them in a meeting once a week. But I don't like dealing with them instantly unless it's like, you know, actually really Something bad. Fire. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's great because it means I don't spend most of my day solving problems. I spend most of my day doing creative, moving the company forward stuff, but we reflect on the problems once a week. Cool. Um, Love it. 
Yep. So that's uh, the dopamine. Then your uh, your uh, serotonin you want to get from sharing things that move the company forward. Like I said, sharing testimonials is a lot better than sharing intentions of things you want to do. Um, and also making sure you've got a healthy social life where you are surrounded by people who do care about what you do. If you've got people that are negative, if you're like, I'm going to achieve this, and they're like, that sucks, those people have to go. You have them in your life by all means, but get them off social media. You know, be there for them, but they're not going to be there for you. So gotcha. serotonin, you got to get control of. Oxytocin, the easiest way is having a very clear line. When I go to work, I do not talk to my partner. And when I am at home, I do not do my work. That clear line will keep oxytocin where it needs to be, which is in your home and in you know in your social so, life. And, and let me and just let me just let me just clarify for folks: by partner, you mean your wife? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, okay. your partner. Okay, because yeah, your business partner. Yeah, 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 no, and that's that. I was confused for a second, and I want to make sure that was yeah. clear for everybody else. Okay, yeah, because no, I, I was like, that. wait a minute, what do you mean you're not allowed to talk to your business partner? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm missing some. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, and then your endorphins. You're gonna get uh, that's the pain thing. You need to challenge yourself. I know a lot of business owners that they work all the time, then they come home and they watch TV, but they're not getting endorphins from anywhere. So then they're going to create challenges in other places. Play board games, um, you know, work out, um, have a hobby that involves you actually competing against other people. Do something that will trigger that stress that you need, but in the right way, the, the healthy stress so you'll get the endorphin kick. So let me, let me ask, ask you a question around that because for me, I... It's so interesting. Like you're you're putting your a formal wrapper around a lot of behaviors that I that I noticed, but I didn't I didn't formally understand what was taking place. So mm-hmm. previously, I would end my day from work, going and getting an early dinner, having a drink or two for dinner, and just kind of winding down. And then I would come home and spend my evenings, you know, like playing competitive video games. Right? <laughs> I would get so much out of you know, every victory and the competition and the stress and the adrenaline and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. To where there was very much an addiction to to those chemicals. And it's the same thing that I get from racing cars. So mm-hmm. what's the difference between a challenge and let's just call it a virtual environment versus going out and jumping on a bike? And Actually, um, if you're experiencing that rush, then you are getting endorphins. And actually, I would argue that you know, providing you kept it to where it needs to be, which is in the evenings, and it's not impacting your work, you're doing exactly the right thing. There is nothing wrong with getting your endorphins from a video game or from real life or wherever you want to get it from, but keep the, the challenges out of the business. This is what's great because if you keep the manufactured challenges to fun things that you enjoy doing, like healthy competition, then you will not manufacture challenges at work. You'll be able to focus on what's important at work and, you know, dealing with the real problems if they are real problems. I know so many people, a good example is actually, uh, I have a friend of mine who the minute there's like a loud noise at work, it's very irritated, right? And it's like, this is a problem. Like the environment's too loud. Mm. And I'm like, that's really not a problem. <laughs> it's, um, however, that same person, when they come home in the evening, they just want to relax and watch TV and switch off. And I'm constantly telling them, you need to challenge yourself at home so that when you go to work, that noise isn't an issue. You don't, right. you don't worry about it because mm. you're finding that sound to be really irritating but that's everybody working like you know they're, they're they're laughing and enjoying their work and if you keep shouting at them every time they laugh you're going to make the work environment a terrible place to be right, right so right. so yeah so i love that and, and actually mike you know I, I would argue that's part of your success is that desire for that competitive video game thing because you're keeping all your drama and all your stress in that one thing while also honing your mind making quick decisions doing all the right things that you should be doing 
but you're not testing that in your business. And instead, your business is just you following very clever, smart, good decision making. Um, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I, you know, in the, in the business perspective, the online perspective, the first thing that comes to mind, to mind is, is the whole launch, launch model, which a lot of us who've been around for a while, you know, really had to rely on quite a bit. And there's this whole set of chemicals that we've just discussed that comes into that model, right? There's the challenge, there's the deadline, there's the, the dopamine and everything of when you see these flood of sales come in and then, it goes away and it stops. And then you basically get stuck in this launch cycle where your business becomes dependent upon it. And once you're stuck in that cycle, there's not a lot of time or resources left to build a long, you know, stable, long lasting business model that will allow you to get out of that cycle. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's just a scenario that pops in my head around this. Absolutely. No, yeah, and I, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the, the key is like, you know, there's so much with a launch specifically because you get dopamine and serotonin, you get all the chemicals. So right. they're very addicting. And it feels like work. It feels like you're working. You know, I mean, I, I still love doing launches. I can't lie. It's still, it is still enjoyable. Yeah. Um, I mean, to create definitely. something new and yeah, you get everything from it. And that's, that is the danger of the launch. It gives you everything that you need. Yeah. Hitting, hitting that refresh button every 30 seconds, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I know we're, we're, we're just blasting through our hour uh, together here. What is, if we could encapsulate this, the best way that you can share with folks to start to make better decisions with you know, all of this that, in mind that we've just discussed? So um, I'll, I'll leave you with a decision I had to make. And this was one of the best times when I utilized this. Uh, we used to run an event called The Experience. And the whole idea of The Experience was you would have a week of hanging out with me and I would give you all the cutting edge information when it comes to business, but we would do it in a really fun filled environment where we'd go, uh, we'd go to the stunt ranch in Austin or, you know, we would, uh, we would rent out the comedy store in LA and do stand up comedy as well. And the whole point was you'd get this full experience. So you would be working in a business, but you'd also be having these lifelong memories. And uh, we had uh, an event lined up. We had 40 people signed up for this event. You know, it's $10,000 a ticket, a very significant amount of money. And we would put them up in a hotel. And uh, the hotel, we always negotiated a lower rate. So it made sense. And there was some issue that happened in my business and not, not pointing fingers or blaming any of my staff members. But long, and, long story short, we had a week to go until the event and the hotel hadn't been booked. And the money had already been spent on other things because somebody had done the budget wrong. Mm. And so we found ourselves in a situation where we weren't going to be paying a hundred bucks a night. We were actually going to be paying a last minute fee of $500 a night. And it was just going to take all the profit out of the entire program that we've been working on for a year. And my whole company's freaking out. Everyone's scared. Everyone's nervous. And uh, I went to have a bath. And I remember the look on all my employees' faces when I was like, I'm going to go and have a bath. And everyone's like, what are you doing? This is terrible. Like, this is not a time to have a bath. And I was like, look, there's so much cortisol in the air from all of you and myself. I know I'm going to make an instinctive decision and I can't. I need an influx of my good chemicals. I need to get away from all of you. So I'm going home. I'm going to have a bath. We will revisit this tomorrow morning. So with only five days to go, I wasted 24 hours, quote unquote, wasted resetting my chemicals. I went home. I drew a long bath. I had candles. I had music playing. I bought my favorite food on the way home and I sat in my bathtub. I ate my favorite food 
And I did all the things that I knew would reset all my positive chemicals. And the climax of that two-hour bathtub experience of zenning out and finally finding my calm by, by basically giving in to all my indulgences in one go was that I realized the correct thing to do was to change this process in the future. And so for the event itself, we offered an upsell that we had a 90% uptake where if they would be willing to sort out their own accommodation, we would give them a, a period of coaching afterwards for, as an exchange. And we explained the situation, which is very honest with all the clients explained what happened. And we had a 90% uptake of that. And the 10% that didn't was just not a problem. We just paid for it. And then, um, and that saved all the revenue. And then in the future, we created a new event, which is called the Working Vacation, which is essentially exactly the same event, except now we always do it on a cruise ship and we apply the, the, the budget towards the cruise, but you have to pay for the cruise in advance. So we never have that problem because all the money goes into the vacation. Actually, it increased our profit margin by about like 35% or something, which was mm. significant. I like that because, idea. It's a great idea. Yeah, it's great. And we, take, we do it every year. We have anywhere from you know, 10 to 50 people every year come out on a cruise ship with us for a week and they work on their business sit next to us. We work on our business with them and we all do it together and, and we help them focus on their brain chemistry. But while they're actually working, which is great because the problem will turn up and you know, we'll be in the Bahamas on the beach uh, as part of the cruise and someone will be like, oh my gosh, this thing just happened. And we're like, all right, well, let's just chill for a second. We'll jump in the swimming pool and let's talk about you know, Farhad's problem in his business and let's resolve it together. So it's a really, really fun experience, but it was great because it came from that bathtub. I've, and knowing my chemicals, knowing I was making cortisol decisions and stopping. So I think if I could summarize this entire thing in a nutshell, it's you've got to recognize when you're making a chemical-based decision. And the way of doing that is if you've made this decision before, it's probably a chemical decision because we tend to just duplicate what we did before. And if you are stressed, you're making a chemical decision. And it's fascinating, right? When people's businesses are struggling, they'll often say, go back to basics and they'll just go and do the thing they've always done, which sometimes works, but sometimes doesn't. And you got to, that's when I'm always redressing it. So I'm always looking at it. I'm like, if I've done this before, is it the right move? Right, right, right. Yeah. I'm just looping back in through all of my, <laughs> my <laughs> um, uh, redos and, and how, you know, again, going back to what you, what you know how to do and resetting and then, and then figuring out how not to repeat those same mistakes and all of that good stuff. So yeah, very cool. Um, do you have a book on this? So funny enough, we do. We have a, uh, we have a book. Um, it's on Amazon called Brain Hacking. And it's all about specifically, we, we break down part of this process, but we specifically focus on killing the voice in your mind in that book that says no. There's a voice in your mind that will often, you know, the, the voice of doubt, and it's triggered often by cortisol. And we, we help people remove that voice. So instead of saying no, they think better, better decision making. But yeah, cool. it's all in the book on Amazon. Just bought it. Awesome. Oh, great. Um, Thanks. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, this is really, really, really good stuff because understanding this is going to allow you to break the cycles that you've been repeating in your life and in all aspects, relationships, relationships with food, people, money, all of it. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome, brother. Well, where Thank can, you. uh, where can folks go to connect with you and plug into your work? Obviously we've got, we've got the book uh, on Amazon and where else? Yeah, so um, psychologyhacker.com is my, my main URL, and uh, we're up on Facebook as well on Psychology Hacker. And one of the things I love about my business, when you go and look there, you'll see a business in progress. We're constantly evolving it, constantly tweaking it. And it's because, like I said, my, my main focus is on my, my private clients that I work with and my family. Given a choice between having a picture-perfect website or one that just does the job, but spending time with my kids, I'm going to pick the time with my kids. 
and you know I, I find that that's just a better way to be for myself personally um, yeah. which I, which well, I absolutely I th- love so I think uh I think at the end of the day no one it's so funny at the end of the day when we're 60 70 years old no one's really going to give a damn about business stuff that we did <laughs> ourselves included you know? I I agree so, so much and you know um there was a, a passing recently of a very good friend of mine um, in our industry. Yeah. And it just reminds me once again, and I've, I've had two, two brushes with death myself. Um, I had a stroke earlier on this year and mm. I lost the ability to think and speak for a while. Wow. And yeah, it was, it was very brutal. Uh, but all these things just remind me each time, like, what am I going to value? The fact that I you know, spent the extra couple of hours that evening having a picture perfect website or that I spent some time playing Pokemon cards with my kids and yeah. the Pokemon cards are going to win every time. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Awesome, brother. Well, Adam, thank you so much for the time and the insights today. This is super fascinating stuff to me. Thank you. It's great to meet you. Yeah, likewise. I know we just scratched the surface too of of your work and and everything that you know. So I would highly recommend guys go plug into Adam's work, buy the book, psychologyhacker.com. I've just subscribed to your YouTube channel as well, uh, which I'm looking forward to diving in there. So yeah, fascinating stuff, my friend. I can't wait to uh, to hopefully meet up at some point since we're so yeah, close. Let's, so let's do that. Let's do a coffee or something. That yeah, fun. that'd be great. All right. Very good. Well, thank you guys for listening. As always, I hope you enjoyed this amazing interview as much as I did. And if you did, please go leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this on Stitcher. That's the single biggest thing that you can do to help us spread the word about the show and get it in front of more people so that we can keep helping uh helping the world improve so thanks so much for listening as always we'll see you next week Fantasy, some me.